1: Local news to keep you rooted. No race in the Bay Area has been the subject of more hot takes from both outside and inside the Bay than the recall of San Francisco
2: District Attorney,
1: Chase Boudin
2: for a local prosecutor's race, it's sort of remarkable. I mean, I can't remember a time when we've had the kind of like sort of wall-to-wall front page, even before the election, right? Over the weekend, like the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the, the Post, everybody had their kind of like lead up think piece. I'm sure you've
1: seen them. Claims that Boudin's recall sends a strong message about the state or even the whole country, about where folks stand on criminal justice reform. Well, we've got much more than a hot take here on the Bay. Today, the real reasons behind why Chase Boudin was recalled and what it says and doesn't say about San Francisco. Okay, so it's we're talking on Thursday morning. What are the vote totals as of right now?
2: So as of now, Prop H is a little under 60 percent, yes, and a little over 40 percent, no. Marisa Lagos is a politics
1: and government correspondent for KQED. She also co-hosts the Political Breakdown podcast.
2: So far, we're seeing around 25% turnout, but they are, there are still a lot of ballots left to count. And by some estimations, it could be as high as 45%. So that's actually a really great turnout for a primary election and one that, you know, other than this race, wasn't, quite frankly, that exciting.
1: And I mean, I know folks were already celebrating um, some of the results of the election on on election night. What was the mood? What were you seeing at some of those parties?
2: I think that the Chesa Boudin supporters were, of course, disappointed, but not shocked. There was a little bit of resignation on the Chesa Boudin side. And then, of course, the supporters of this are very thrilled.
0: Repo Chester! Repo Chester! Repo Chester!
2: And uh, have been, you know, really making their case for months. And I think that they took a well deserved victory lap. I feel relieved. I feel
3: relieved. I feel hopeful for San Francisco.
2: Um, You know, one of the folks who really led this effort was Brooke Jenkins. She's a former prosecutor who was in the DA's office until last fall and said she just became really disillusioned with Boudin's leadership and decided to really be the face of this recall campaign.
3: We knew all along that this was not a Republican billionaire effort. That This was not a pushback against reform, that we were trying to protect reform and that we knew. That, there's, that a DA can balance
2: implementing reform with prioritizing public safety, and so I feel hopeful that that will return to the DA's office. Are these results surprising to you at all? Not in the least. Do you think that there's this confluence of factors that really made this an almost impossible task for him? So yeah, let's start with who he is, which is really why he had a target on his back. He's a former public defender. He worked under Jeff Adachi in San Francisco's public defender office. And Boudin really led the fight statewide around the conversation on bail reform. But when he ran for office, we all started talking a lot more about even his further back history. Boudin's parents were part of the radical weather underground. And when he was just a toddler, they left him with a babysitter um, and were essentially the getaway drivers in a botched robbery that left three people dead and including two police officers. Neither of his parents pulled the trigger, but they were involved and charged under a felony murder rule. That- Ultimately, you know, his mom spent several decades in prison. His dad was only released last year. And as you can imagine, that was not a personal history that really mm-hmm. endeared him to folks in law enforcement. The police officer's union, the rank and file, uh, I think it's fair to say, hated Chase Boudin's guts from the beginning. Law enforcement thought it was an aberration that we should have somebody in this role whose parents served time in prison for their part in a crime that led to the death of two police officers. And then, you know, Chase Boudin charged several police officers with crimes. It's one thing to come in and say, I'm going to hold police accountable. But once you start doing so, it can really activate uh, the rank and file against you.
1: And then, of course, once he took office, the pandemic hit. What role did that play in sort of the buildup to his recall?
2: You cannot discount that timing as part of this. You know, Boudin, when he took office, a lot of our property crimes were really focused on tourists, which is not awesome, but is not the people who are voting him in. And we saw some interesting kind of shifts where there was more, say, burglaries of garages and vehicles in residential neighborhoods, not just in tourist zones. And so I feel like the momentum between that reality on the ground in San Francisco and the national conversation over, you know, these big retail thefts where people were running into Union Square or you know, in Walnut Creek, it was I mean, it wasn't just San Francisco. But for some reason, a lot of the kind of narrative really focused on this city. And you really saw this. What I would say it's sort of disappointing turn in especially some of the local broadcast media that really harkened back to me to the 90s, right? This idea that we can take one anecdotal case, and essentially blame one policy or one person for it. He brought this up in our interview at KQED, but I mean, there was a reporter at ABC7 who literally sent out a tweet at one point of one of those videos of somebody shoplifting with the hashtag, no consequences, and hashtag recall Chasa. I remember heading into the holidays last year just thinking, wow, Boudin's in trouble if this recall qualifies, and frankly, broader criminal justice reform could be in trouble because it just felt like a completely different conversation, even on the left.
1: Marisa, there's also a lot of local context at play, including this idea that there's a huge crime wave in San Francisco, even though that's not really backed up by the data. But there were also these individual cases that sparked a lot of outrage and a lot of money spent to bolster these narratives. And that seemed to be pretty convincing to many San Franciscans,
2: no? Look, money talks, but money alone doesn't convince people. I think we have to talk about Troy McAllister. This was New Year's Eve 2020. A man with a very long criminal record had stolen a car a few days before and was essentially high on meth and held up a bakery and was fleeing and ran through an intersection and hit two pedestrians. But it came out in the days that followed that Troy McAllister, the alleged driver and the alleged killer in the case, um... Had been in San Francisco County Jail for five years until Chase Aboudin took office and cut a deal with him for uh, a robbery that had occurred some years before. And over the course of the months leading up to that horrific event on New Year's Eve, McAllister was actually arrested, I think, five different times uh, by San Francisco police, and each time for various mostly nonviolent property-type crimes, on suspicion of them. The DA's office says because there was not uh, the type of evidence that they felt could lead to a conviction, but because he was on parole, they repeatedly uh, referred him to the state parole department. I looked back at this case in the last few months and found that there was a number of criminal justice partners, especially the state parole department, who really had a role as much as Boudin's office in The decisions that led to mcallister being free that night but that is not how the story played out in the local media there was a lot of anger and there was an immediate sort of blame of boudin's office the narrative around that um, and then around some other cases including some really horrific cases of violence against especially asian elders Um, and frankly sometimes chases less than politics sort of ways of responding to questions about them that made people feel that he wasn't empathetic or that he wasn't doing enough. I think that all sort of started building this narrative against him throughout 2021 that really, you know, crescendoed as, as the recall qualified for the ballot.
1: Maurice, I want to talk about what this Recall actually means because national media seems to care a lot about the results of this race, with a lot of the headlines being about how, like, more broadly, his recall is an indictment of police reform movements and criminal justice reform. As a local reporter, what do you see them getting wrong about what this recall means?
2: As someone who's covered San Francisco for a while, I think we always have to be careful because this is at its heart. A very kind of parochial town. We have a lot of fights here that may seem to turn on policy disagreements, but also largely are part of the kind of political personality disagreements. You know, you have the sort of more moderate London Breed led part of our our city establishment. And then you have the more progressive wing. And I think that, you know, you can't discount that sort of reality. So I think that's one part of this that again, Chasa is in a lot of ways because of his biography, because of his background. And quite frankly, because he was a first-time politician who I think made some, you know, legitimate missteps in terms of his communication and the way he framed things. Like you have to look at that too. If you're gonna call this a repudiation of criminal justice reform, I think you need to zoom out a little bit and consider that in Contra Costa County, not a bastion of liberalism in the same way that San Francisco is. Diana Becton crushed her opponent, Mary Knox. Diana Becton is also a progressive DA. She prosecuted a sheriff's deputy last year successfully. Rob Bonta, the attorney general who wrote bail reform, who has been on the front lines of, you know, supporting reforms like Proposition 47, one of the biggest lightning rods for criticism in California politics, he got 55 plus percent of the vote. So if voters were just mad at reform-minded Democrats, I don't know that we would be seeing those numbers. It's hard to say that there's one lesson here. Do I think heading into this fall and the years ahead that criminal justice reformers do need to be careful? I do. And I think that it's gonna be a challenge when people don't always feel secure and safe and when they do look outside and see a horrific drug crisis when we talk about fentanyl and meth, when they see tents on the side of freeways and people living in horrific situations, that that makes them feel uneasy. And it doesn't surprise me to some extent in a state that is dominated by Democrats that that's who would be blamed. But I think that every race is individual and unique and we have to acknowledge that there's always going to be local factors at play and that there's always going to be a desire to hold somebody accountable when people are unhappy. And usually that person is the person they can see closest to them. Boudin was sort of swept up in a lot of this and has been blamed for ills that quite frankly predate him and will be here long after he's out of office. A lot of the narrative that helped catch this, the fire for this recall, and I think helped start raise money, um, which is different than the grassroots sort of just like collecting signatures. But they needed the money too. Was not just folks like William Oberndorf, who is this big. Um, Republican donor that's been talked about a lot, who gave a lot of money to one of the independent campaigns, but also a real sort of uh, clarion call from some high profile folks in the tech world, including people like David Sachs and Gary Tan, who really use their podcast and Twitter following to help rally support for this sort of anti-Chasa movement. I'm curious what
1: Chasa Boudin himself has said in response to his recall and why he thinks he lost the recall.
0: Our cause cause is righteous. righteous.
2: You know, I think the way that Chase Boudin and his supporters have painted this recall is that it is part of a bigger movement to really tamp down this move toward criminal justice reform.
0: And I want to be very clear about what happened tonight. The right-wing billionaires outspent us three to one. They exploited an environment in which people are appropriately upset. And they created an electoral dynamic where we were literally shadow boxing. Voters were not asked to choose between criminal justice reform and something else. They were given an opportunity to voice their frustration and their outrage, and they took that opportunity.
2: And they branded it the Republican recall, right? They took a playbook from Newsom. The problem for him in that case was that there was nobody to run against because it was just a ballot measure, not an actual head to head. But I think they really see this as part of the broader, both conservative, but really law enforcement led pushback against a lot of the changes that we've had in the past decade or so.
0: Let me tell you why we've already won, folks. Let me tell you why we've already won. We have already won because we are part of a national movement that recognizes we can never incarcerate our way out of poverty.
2: And they feel like this is not just about Boudin, it is about an opportunity to sort of shift the narrative and the political winds in a very progressive town. And they think that, you know, if it can be done here, they're warning that it can happen elsewhere.
0: It is not just about protecting the rich and powerful, it is about protecting everybody in this great city of St. Francis. And that is something that we are all going to continue to fight for. Am I right? I can't hear you. I still can't hear you.
1: So, Marisa, what happens next?
2: We're going to be waiting for the county to uh, certify the election results by mid-July, and then the mayor will appoint her replacement.
3: Um, Well, first of all, thank you all so much for coming out. I'm here um, with Supervisor uh, Matt Dorsey. Um, We
2: had plans... The day uh, after the election on Wednesday, uh, Mayor Breed went on a merchant walk with her newly appointed uh, district supervisor, Matt Dorsey, who was a former police spokesman. Um,
3: First of all, we know that there are um, people on both sides of uh, the DA recall. We're not here to debate that. We're really here um, to talk about you know, moving forward.
2: And-, and you know, she insisted that this does not mean that reform is dead.
3: I also want to just really dispel this myth that's going on out there and, and hope that all of you as members of the press would in fact uh, elevate the message um, of the fact that this does not mean that criminal justice reform in San Francisco is going anywhere.
2: That person will have to run for the full term uh, next year when, when Chase Dean's term would have been up. And I'll be interested to see not just who the mayor picks, but how the public responds.
3: I, don't, I wouldn't say that I necessarily have a list. I would say that there are a lot of people who have reached out to my office to express interest. And so um, part of what I'm doing and going
2: through this... Problem. I'm also watching to see what the police do. We saw just yesterday a big announcement from SFPD about a bunch of arrests in robberies and shoplifting incidents. And honestly, my thought was, huh, was that timed to after this election? I mean, one of Chase Boudin's big complaints has been the efficacy of this police department. And there's a lot of theories on his side of things that they you know have not been working as hard to maybe solve some of this stuff in a way to make him look bad i do think that how the police respond how they interact with the next da will be really interesting to watch and telling and i think that i'm going to be watching now too for how the mayor is held accountable
1: right because she's that does a lot of appointments right um she just picked the new school board members the district six supervisor seat and now the da
2: And when you take that in concert with both her public statements around cracking down on the tenderloin, and then also her budget proposal, which uh, proposes a huge increase to the police department, I think she is making the political bet that this is what voters want right now, that public safety is top of mind in San Francisco, and they want to see more traditional law enforcement approaches to it. I don't know. We'll see. Does Matt Dorsey survive in D6? Does whoever she appoints to the D- DA's office make a difference? And can they win re-election? I-, I think it's an open question. And I also think that you should expect uh, to see, I don't know that Boudin would run again, but a challenge to whoever appoints her you know she appoints because I think that there is still momentum uh among reformers and there's a sense that this was a unique moment he was a singular candidate and that this doesn't necessarily mean the end of sort of the road for them
1: Marisa thank you so much appreciate you as always hope you could get another good night of good sleep <laughs>
2: I'm going to (laughs) try. Thanks, Erica.
1: Give it up for Marisa Lagos, our politics and government correspondent for KQED and the co-host of the Political Breakdown podcast. You can find her show wherever you found the Bay. Marisa, as always... Wishing you good sleeps. Thanks as well to Alex Emsley, Daphne Young, and Julia McAvoy for gathering some of the tape you heard in this episode from election night. This 45-minute conversation with Marisa was edited and cut down by Alan Montecilio. Producer Maria Eskinka scored this one and added all the tape. If you like this episode, I mean, this is what we do. We've seen all the hot takes from the East Coast media on the DA's race, so, this is what we mean when we say local news to keep you rooted. Thank you for listening and for supporting local journalism. We appreciate you. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Peace out, y'all.